Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, it's great to see all of you today. I mentioned earlier that we have a bunch of men who are gone at Pine Cove uh, Men's Conference this weekend, but we are here and we're going to be looking into God's Word together. And uh, just when we think about looking into God's Word today, um, you know, the, the passage of Scripture that I felt God leading us to, to, to look at was a passage of Scripture that, that deals with the life of John the Baptist. Some of you might remember uh, last fall and in, in the days leading up to Christmas that I preached a couple messages that referenced John the Baptist. Uh, in the process of just studying God's Word last fall, um, for whatever reason, his life um, just it stood out to me, and I began reading about it, especially as related to the Christmas story and how John's life intersected. But as I continued to read, there were things about John's life that happened after Jesus was born, including an event where John found himself in prison over in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, you see, John had grown up, and he had become a baptizer. It's where he got his last name. He went out into the water, and he was preaching a message of repentance, and as people would respond, he was baptizing them. Um, And as he was out there, he was aware of current events that were happening in Israel. And one of the current events that was happening in Israel at this time was that Herod Antipas, who was one of the, the local leaders there, had decided that he wanted a new wife. And the wife that he wanted was his brother's wife. And so he convinced his brother's wife, Herodias, to divorce her husband and marry him. Well, John didn't think that was right, and he spoke out about it, and he called it sin. Because of that, he was arrested, and he was placed inside a dungeon in one of Herod Antipas's fortresses out in the wilderness. And so when we get to Matthew chapter 11, we have this story of an imprisoned John the Baptist. But what's interesting to me is, is not just that John found himself in a dungeon. There are, are prophets and God's people throughout his word and throughout history that have found themselves in prisons. What, what's interesting to me about John the Baptist in this situation was not just that he was in a physical holding cell, but that he also found himself in a spiritual holding cell as well. He found himself in a different type of prison. Before I kind of explain what that was and what that is, I want to just share with you a couple of experiences. I don't know if you have ever been in a prison before, um, but I've been in three different prisons in my life. Uh, I've been there as a part of a, a basketball team that, that went in kind of a scared straight thing when I was in high school, uh, where we went and played in a local prison. I, I've been um, as a part of evangelistic outreach and events. I've been as a pastor doing pastoral visits in, in prisons. But every time I've gone to a prison, um, there's always this, this interesting experience because in the eyes of the men that I talk to in the prison, many times I will see hope, a hope that is found only in Christ. Regardless of their circumstance, regardless of their situation, there are men there who are, are trusting in Christ. I have the privilege of talking every Monday to a man who is incarcerated here in Oklahoma, and he's a, one of the elders in the church inside this prison. And there's hope in his life because of Christ. Um, and so, you know, th- there's hope that is there. But one thing that, that is true about every prison I've been to is that the prison itself is a very difficult physical setting. It's difficult to see. 
Because, you know, people don't want prisons in their backyards. And so prisons typically are found out in the countryside. And, you know, the, the prison that I've been to the most, you drive through the, the countryside and there's these beautiful farmland and rolling hills. And then right in the middle of it are these artificial walls that have been assembled of, of chain link and razor wire. And knowing that there are men who are living on the other side, it's always just amazing to me that the feeling that I have because the feeling that's screaming out inside of me is that something has gone terribly wrong for a human to live in there behind those artificial walls. It would be as if we went to uh, Africa, to the Serengeti Plain, and we saw a lion inside a cage in that environment. We would go, something has gone terribly wrong for that lion. And in the case of these men, you know, a set of life choices and the, the justice system have come together to create this these walls, these artificial walls to control and confine their world for a period of time. Um, And and that is what a physical prison is. And like I said, you you may or you may not have been inside a prison. Maybe you've been there uh, to to, to visit. Maybe you've been there to serve some time. Uh, For whatever reason, you might have spent some time in one of these places, but many of you haven't. Many of you have not been inside of a prison. And so talking about a prison is something that's, that's somewhat out there. But I believe that though we might not find ourselves in Herod's dungeon and we might not find ourselves inside a correctional facility here in the state of Oklahoma, there is a kind of a spiritual prison that can seek to put artificial walls around our minds and our hearts. And this is a prison of doubt where our experiences that are difficult or our expectations that go unmet construct fences in our mind that keep us from embracing who we know Christ to be, that cause us to doubt and to wonder if he's good or if he's real or if he knows. These are the experiences of people who have lost a child. These are the experiences of people who have experienced great financial loss. It's the experience of people who are going through a messy divorce. The experience of people who have this hope of having the perfect family, but their family looks anything but perfect. And in those situations, we can begin to think, God, do you hear? Do you know? Are you aware? Physical illness is, is, is crowding down, and all of those events can, can construct fences in our mind, not of chain link and razor wire, but fences nonetheless that want to keep us in a spot and prevent us from seeing and knowing and trusting God for who he is. See, we have the possibility of finding ourselves in that kind of a prison of doubt, and because of that, it is so important for us to look into God's word this morning. It's so important for us to see in God's word a way out of the prison of doubt found only in Jesus Christ. And we see this by looking at uh, John the Baptist. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and through 6 this morning, and we're going to see a little something about how we find ourselves in this prison of doubt and how we can get out. We're going to see two things today. The first thing we're going to see is this. It's really a question I just want to ask you. Are you locked inside your experience or your expectations? Are you locked inside your experience or your expectations? Have have your experience and expectations created an artificial wall in your mind or in your soul that is preventing you from seeing God for who he really is? Well, this is this is part of what happened with John the Baptist. Now, before we, we look at John the Baptist's experience of doubt, 
It's helpful for us to think of John the Baptist and all the advantages he had. Really, in in the first century, up to this point in history, when this is written in, in, in Matthew chapter 11, there's perhaps no human except maybe Mary, mother of Jesus, who would have been in a better position to know that Jesus was the Messiah. You ever thought about that? John was in an incredible position to grasp and understand and know exactly who Jesus was, that he was indeed the promised one, the chosen Messiah of God. Uh, we see that because of the family that John was a part of. That's, that's one way we see that. See, John had a, a mom and dad, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest, and, and Zechariah goes into the Holy of Holies, and it's there that an angel tells him that he is going to have a son who will be a forerunner to the Messiah. And then Zechariah comes out, and he can't talk, and he's experiencing these, these difficulties during the nine months while John is in his mother's womb, Elizabeth. And while Elizabeth is holding John inside her womb, Mary, their relative, is holding Jesus inside of her womb, and she comes and stays with Elizabeth, and John from the womb leaps in the presence of Jesus. Um, there is this incredible moment where, where from the very moment of his conception, even before his birth, John's parents were believing that Jesus was the Messiah. In, in, in that respect, you could almost say that, that John was the first guy ever to grow up in a Christian home. He grew up with parents who were believers. He grew up in an environment where Jesus was known and around. I mean, imagine growing up with Jesus as your cousin. That's quite a picnic, right? Um, there, there would have been all kinds of things and all kinds of access, and the stories about his birth and about Jesus' birth would have been told and known by his family. John grew up in that environment. He would have known who Jesus was because of his family. But he also would know who Jesus was just by even his personal testimony. He grew up in that environment and he came to understand that Jesus indeed was the Messiah and he spoke about that. He confessed that to other people. Look at what it says in, in John chapter 1, verses 29 to 31. It talks about an, an event involving John the Baptist. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, and because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. See, John had heard the stories in his family. He had embraced them, and he had begun to speak out about them claiming that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. But it goes even beyond what his family experience was or what he personally had experienced. Um, he also saw God do some miraculous things validating Jesus as the Messiah. Look at what it says in John chapter 1, verses 32 through 34. You know, we, we have this, this event where John baptizes Jesus. That's an event where, where John is, is in the Jordan River and Jesus comes down to him and John baptizes him. And, and we, we find out in the book of Mark that when that baptism took place, that there was a voice from heaven that said, Behold my son in whom I'm well pleased. There was a dove that, that, that came down, a bodily form of the Spirit, a visible thing, acknowledging that the Spirit of God was residing upon Jesus. Now, you know, when, when I've read that in, in other gospels, sometimes I've wondered, did John hear that or did just Jesus hear that? 
you know, was Jesus in the water and he was having this one-on-one with God and it was like invisible ink and nobody else saw it? Or was this something that everybody else saw? What we see in the book of John verses, chapter 1, verses 32-34 is that John the Baptist is acknowledging that he saw that and he heard that. This is what it says. It says, John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him, on Jesus. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So based on his family environment, based on what he himself had professed, based on what he had seen, John was in a unique position to to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. But what's interesting is, even though all of that was true, John, by Matthew chapter 11, is doubting who Jesus really is. Now, why would John doubt? Why would John doubt that Jesus was who he said he was? Well, I think there was a couple of things. On one side, I think the reason why John was doubting is because there were some unmet expectations, that he had some expectations of Jesus that Jesus wasn't fulfilling. When you think about that, you know, we probably have a predisposition when we look at the claims of Christ to expect Jesus to provide spiritual blessing. We have a predisposition, a, a, a more likelihood to see things like forgiveness and hope and those kinds of things, more blessings in the spiritual realm. But in the first century, it wasn't so much the spiritual blessings that they centered on, though they, they knew that was part of the package. They were more centered on the, the physical blessings that Messiah would bring, the fact that he would kick the Romans out and that he would restore some um, autonomy of the nation of Israel and make Israel great. There, there was a, a part of that package that they were hoping for. And so John is looking around at life now months, weeks later after Jesus' baptism, and he's going, you know what? Those things haven't happened yet. The Romans are still in charge. I'm still in Herod's dungeon. Maybe I've missed it. And not only was there those things not happening, not only was Jesus not uh, you know, asserting his authority in that way, but it didn't seem like he had any plans to. He wasn't raising a militia. He wasn't giving political speeches. He was out in the countryside. He wasn't in Jerusalem. Those unmet expectations would have caused John to wonder and question and doubt what he had previously been in a unique position to grasp onto. Some unmet expectations. But, you know, even beyond the unmet expectations, it might have been just the difficulty of his experience. He was going through some hard times. He was in a prison, a dungeon, in Herod Antipas's palace out in the wilderness. Not a pleasant place to be. Perhaps it was just the very experience of, you know, here he is, the forerunner of the Messiah, but now chained to a wall, seemingly left for dead. Eventually, John was going to be beheaded on a dare. That's some pretty difficult circumstances. And it's possible that it wasn't just the unmet expectations, but it's possible that the difficult experiences that he was going through all combined to have John just wonder, did I get it right? 
Did I interpret it correctly before? Was I wrong? Is Jesus not the Messiah? And so John calls some of his disciples to himself, and he's going to send them in Matthew chapter 11 to Jesus to ask him a question. Now, we might wonder how this really worked. In prisons in that day, they didn't get three square meals a day. Uh, If you wanted to eat, if you needed supplies, if you wanted communication, you had to have friends on the outside come and visit you. And so John had some friends on the outside who were coming and visiting him. They were giving him food to eat. They were giving him water to drink. They were giving him supplies that he might need, sharing information with friends. And those disciples come to John, and John says, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go and find Jesus and ask him this question. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. It says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples, and he said to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Just that question, just that that feeling of doubt. Can 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 you just feel the emotion of John's question? Have I missed it? Even though he was in a position to know all of these things, even though he had previously experienced all these other things, he still, at this moment, because of his unmet expectations, because of the difficulty of of his experience, he began to doubt. He found himself in a prison of doubt. Now, before we get too hard on John and wonder how he could have possibly been in this place of doubt, we need to realize that, that all of us find ourselves in similar circumstances sometimes, don't we? You know, John grew up in a Christian family. Um, Many in this room have grown up in a Christian family. Many of you have grown up in an environment where you had a a family who believed in Jesus. Or if if your family didn't, at least you had a friend who did, a, a neighbor down the street. You've grown up in a culture and an environment that has been friendly towards Jesus at one way, shape, or form. And yet sometimes our unmet expectations or our difficult experiences cause us to doubt, doesn't it? You know, like John who professed that Jesus was the Lamb of God, the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, uh, many in this room have at some point in your life made a similar profession of faith. You've trusted in Christ, whether it was in this room or a different room, whether it was at camp or at home at night. There was a point in your life where all of this made sense. God was drawing you to himself, and you prayed a prayer. You accepted the gift of Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. John saw that in Jesus. You have proclaimed that. And, but just like John, who had professed that Jesus was the Messiah and yet still doubted later, You might have professed faith in Christ, but you might find yourself in some experiences right now that are causing you to doubt. You know, just like John who had seen God do some amazing things to validate the person of Christ, you might have incredible testimonies of how God worked in your life back then, last week, last month, last year, when I was in college, when I was in high school, when I was a part of the youth group, when I was in that small group. You could tell stories of God's faithfulness in the past. But because of your current experience, because of some unmet expectations, you might find yourself doubting today. Like John, we're not immune to these kinds of things just because we've been around the block a few times or just because we come from an environment that is generally trusting in Christ. See, we've we've experienced this. I've experienced this as you go through difficulties in life. And I've seen it in the lives of others. When I think about this issue of unmet expectations, sadly, I've, I've seen people find themselves in a prison of doubt in life because 
an expectation they had of God is not met. You know, I've known people who have had such a fervor for um, missionary expansion around the world and have had such a desire for God's glory to be known among the people. And they've been personally involved. They, they come through college, they get excited about it, they get connected in some way with world missions, and they think that the world is gonna be changed, it's gonna be changed in my lifetime. And then they go on a mission trip and it's hard, and nobody is interested in talking to them about Jesus. And they go to another place and they might experience some, some persecution because of their faith in Christ. And because... The world isn't being saved fast enough or in the way that we, we want it to be. Some that I've seen who have had this expectation that world evangelization will happen in the next five years or 10 years or whatever, they find themselves in a place of doubt because God hasn't done what they thought he was going to do. Or he hasn't done what they thought he was going to do fast enough. You know, others I've seen who've gone through situations where uh, there's, there's this thought or this idea that, that somehow if we just had the right spiritual experience, that our lives would be better. Just go to this conference, just read that book, just participate in this spiritual phenomena. If you do those things, then everything will be right and, and your closeness to God will never wane. And so you go to an event, you read a book, you go to a conference and there's this honeymoon period of everything being great, but then two weeks later, you're right back where you were. And if that pattern repeats itself over a period of time, our unmet expectation can cause us to doubt, is this all real? Is Jesus really who he said he was? Even if we've made a profession of faith at some point prior. The same thing can happen with our experience. You might have a difficult experience in your life uh, that has just absolutely got you unable to see beyond its See, we can find ourselves locked up in a prison of doubt. But here is the great news for us. Here is the great news for us. Jesus comes to unlock the prison of doubt. Jesus comes to unlock it. We see this in the balance of our verses, verses 4 to 6 of Matthew 11. See, John sends his friends to go talk to Jesus. And his friends arrive and they ask Jesus their question. Are you the one or is somebody else to come? And what's interesting is what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't go, oh my word, are you kidding me? You've got that question for me? He doesn't freak out on them. He doesn't mock them. He doesn't make, you know, any of those things. Instead, he, he, he hears their question and he, he listens to it. And after he listens to it, um, what's interesting is he also doesn't delve into the specifics of John's situation. He, Jesus didn't say, now, now who's asking? And they said, well, well, John. He said, oh, John, that's right. He's in prison. Tell him I'm so sorry that he's there. Um, though certainly Jesus would have had emotion for his cousin. Instead, what Jesus does is he answers in a really unique way. It's almost a, a, a way of redirection, but it, but it adds so much depth and so much meaning and so much hope for you and me. If Jesus would have answered in any other way, it might have been helpful for John, but I don't know that it would have been helpful for us. But because Jesus answered this way, this is helpful and encouraging for us today. Listen to what Jesus says. Verse 4, Jesus answered them and said, go and tell John what you hear and see. 
The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You know what Jesus was doing? He's reminding John that there's a world bigger than John's prison cell. That's what happens when, we, when we're in that prison of doubt. There's nothing bigger than what we know and what we experience. It's just right there. We're trapped inside those walls, inside our mind, inside our heart. But what Jesus does is he reminds John that though John's experience is difficult and bad, that, that God is doing other things in the world, other great things, other good things, and, and he needs to be aware of them and, and have his mind expanded and lifted off of his own circumstance and to what God is doing in the world. There was a sense where his experience needed to be expanded and understand what all God was doing. But what's interesting is the way that Jesus' answer not only draws attention to what else God is doing, but it also deals with the issue of, ex of expectations. Because Jesus, in saying that all these things were happening, um, is actually drawing uh, some attention to some Old Testament passages. Uh, what Jesus says uh, here is he, he quotes several different accounts in the book of Isaiah as many as six different passages in Isaiah, Jesus is quoting when he talks about the Messiah giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, preaching a message of hope to the poor. All those things that Jesus is quoting, those are, are Old Testament allusions to the book of Isaiah. But what's interesting is that in all of those passages in Isaiah that talk about the physical blessing of uh, Messiah... And, and the miracles that he would do, they also talk about the justice that Jesus would bring or that Messiah would bring. Those passages in Isaiah say that, yes, he will bring sight to the blind and he will restore the name of Israel. Those, those kinds of languages used. And I think what Jesus was doing was he was sending a message to John saying, you know what, I know you see these things. I know you're aware of them. I know you've heard about them. And I know you're expecting me to also be kicking out the Romans and setting up my kingdom now. But it's as if Jesus is saying, hey, I'm just doing part A right now, but part B is certainly coming. Don't let my lack of establishing the kingdom, my lack of levying justice now cause you to miss the fact that I am indeed Messiah and that is being validated by the miracles that are happening here. That's why I think Jesus ends that phrase, that, that section, by talking about blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I think what Je this is a debated passage, but I think really what Jesus is saying is this. Look, there, there, there are people who, because I'm not kicking out the Romans right now, will reject me entirely. But he's saying, don't let that happen to you. Don't be offended by what I don't do. Because eventually, that stuff will happen too. Jesus says, based on what you see and know, tell John that I am who God says I am. I am the Messiah. Now, when we think about this idea of Jesus unlocking this prison of doubt, Jesus coming and, and helping us and assisting us, how do we begin to apply that? How do we, how do we encourage one another as a community of believers to not remain locked behind the prison walls of doubt. I want to look at really three applications for us. 
today from this. Uh, they all weave together. They're all part of the same thought. But the first one is this. I want to challenge us to open up and allow others to know. I mean, think about this. Can you imagine being John the Baptist? I mean, you are John the Baptist. Can you imagine the pressure on John the Baptist to not let other people know that he was doubting? Can you imagine that pressure? He's the forerunner. He's supposed to be the lead blocker for Messiah in the world, and yet he's experiencing doubt. Can you imagine the pressure for him to not share that doubt? And yet, you know what he does? He opens up and he shares it with his friends, and he allows his friends to take his situation and his request to Jesus. I want to just encourage us to be a group of people that are not afraid of how it might look to share with one another that we are struggling in life. Because when we open up and allow others to know what we're going through, that allows them the opportunity, like John's friends, to take our situation to Jesus. Even if we don't have the perspective or the faith or the opportunity to get outside of this prison in our minds, we can have friends who can do it for us. It can help draw us out of the cell. We can open up and allow. Second thing, don't let what you see blind you from what will be. It is the incredible temptation for us to think that we're omniscient. It is the temptation for us to think that we know everything or that we know best. But the reality is there is so much that we don't know. And part of what we don't know is when God's going to do the rest of it. We are experiencing difficulty, we're experiencing struggle in this life, but we know that that is temporary and that one day it will come to an end. That doesn't mean that our lives are going to work out all perfect right now, but it does mean that God's got an eternal plan that he's unfolding over time and that we get to be a part of it. And so one day we won't have to deal with the, the struggle and, the, and the, the doubt and the despair and the difficulty of this life. See, don't let just what you see blind you from what will be. Encourage one another with that. Third thing, keep connection with the outside world. You think about this as a, as a prison motif. It's helpful to have a connection with the outside world. My friend that I talk to every week, I think that it's, it's encouraging for both of us just to connect with somebody in a different world than the one that we're living in as we encourage one another in Christ. What happens when we find ourselves in this prison of doubt is we find ourselves in solitary confinement. We, we, we box ourselves in. And we, when we do that, we, we fail to have opportunity to connect with others. Um, and yet, connecting with others is really a lot of how God administers His grace and draws us outside of those walls. Um, it is so important to be connected in community in our Christian life because if my life is falling apart, it's totally possible that God is at work over here and it can remind me that He's still good. And, you know, for many of you, you would apply all three of these points by leaning into the community that you're already a part of, leaning into the small group that you're a part of, leaning into the, the Sunday morning group that you're a part of, the women's Bible study, the men's Bible study. If so, that is fantastic. Use this as an encouragement to continue to do the same. But for others of you here, maybe you're, you're not experiencing community right now in, in, that, in that way, shape, or form. And you're thinking, how do I find community? among believers even here at Wildwood. And, and we've worked to develop a, a, something that we're calling group launch, which is going to happen here in just a couple of weeks, um, or actually more than a couple of weeks, on February 23rd. We're going to have it over at the Hallbrook uh, Clubhouse 
just around the, the block here. But it'll be a great night. It'll be a fun night. But it'll also be an opportunity for you to, to connect and meet others and begin the process of forming some intentional community together in some community groups. And we would love, if you're looking for a community, that is a place where you might apply this message by taking a step in that direction. Um, let, me, let me pray for us now before we, we close by, by singing together. Father, we just uh, thank you for just the opportunity to be together and the opportunity to look at your word and be encouraged that we do not have to remain inside a prison of doubt, but that Jesus can unlock the door for us. Father, we have many, many reasons to bless your name and to sing praise to you. And we pray that you would allow us the perspective and that you would use this community to draw us closer to you day by day, including this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name.